friends, these words, they are utterly true and they are given to us in love. Hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. And a little later in Amos five, God speaking, I hate, I despise your feasts. I, I, I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs to the melody of your harps. I will not listen, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. And at the end of Amos nine, this is what we read. God speaking, I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel, and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord, your God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, before we get to our sermon this morning, I just want you to know and give a special thanks to Pastor Mark Nix on our staff. He, he was part of putting our entire sermon series for the summer together. Uh, so a special thanks to him and also a special thanks to Brandy on our staff who helped create our creative baseball cards, uh, which I actually forgot. But our Amos card today, you can get uh, in the lobby. It's our, the collector's edition of our Amos card is available. Also, we have a, a print out. Uh, Mark last week gave us a great outline of the history of all the exiles. And some of you have asked for that. We also have a printout of that outline for you. That's also in the lobby, as well as the essentials, some big league chew and some sunflower seeds to uh, go with the theme of our sermon series uh, this summer. If you are new with us today, my name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Orangewood. I'm really, really glad that you're here. If you're here for the first time, you, you've come on a great weekend. Uh, we're in a sermon series called The Miners, where we're looking at these prophets, the minor prophets, and what they have uh, to teach us. So what, what they had to say to the people of their time, and if we're li- willing to listen, what they have to say to us today. This morning, we're jumping into the book of Amos. Now, Amos was a prophet. He, he lived and wrote around 760 to 750 uh, BC. What we, what we learn about Amos is that uh, he was from Tekoa. Uh, he was a shepherd. Uh, not only was a shepherd, but we, we read later in Amos, he was a fig tree farmer. So he had double, double jobs um, working. He was from Tekoa. Um, and the interesting thing was he lived in Tekoa, which was in the southern kingdom. Uh, we talked, Mark talked last week, there's a southern kingdom and a northern kingdom. They, there is a, a divide, a schism. And uh, Amos is from the southern kingdom, but he has been called by God to go and proclaim judgment to the northern kingdom. He, he crosses the line over into the northern kingdom of Israel. And one of the apparent themes running through this entire book of Amos And our focus today will be justice, justice. Uh, Bill McKibben uh, is a journalist. He is an environmentalist. Um, But back in the 80s, he published an article in The New Yorker uh, hitting on and trying to name this theme, this feeling we all experience, this feeling of justice. He wrote this. Uh, What are the sources of fundamental change in our society? From what spring will justice roll down like water? 
that mighty stream of righteousness, how do we find it? Now, I'm not aware of the faith commitments of Bill McKibben, uh, but what he is pulling from in his writing in the 80s is exactly these words from the prophet Amos. And that longing question that we all have, how do we find this kind of world? How do we find this kind of world? Well, four questions we must answer from the book of Amos to inform us to that answer. First, what is justice? Uh, Second, why is it so important? Why why does it matter? Uh, Third, how do we become a people of justice? And lastly, where do we get the power to do it? So first the question, what is justice? Uh, And and in a culture uh, where we are right now, uh, there are many, many different definitions of what is justice, but we need to ask this morning, how does the Bible define it? And at the very heart of Amos's prophetic word, we see what Bill McKibben was getting at, which he cites from Amos 5. This is what we read. It says this, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. We, we, we see in this passage the really close association we find um, between the words righteousness and justice, their, their similarity, how close they are. I had, I had the privilege a couple months back to hear a chief justice in our country talk about how he would define justice. He used these words, justice is the right response. The right response. I thought it was a pretty good definition. Uh, 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 Hebrew scholar Bruce Walkey, he, he taught at Reformed Theological Seminary just down the street. He wrote what some consider to be the best commentary on the book of Proverbs. And, and in that commentary, he, he defines the words righteous and wicked, uh, which you see all throughout the book of Proverbs. And he says the righteous people, the righteous people are the, the ones who disadvantage themselves for the community, whatever resources they have, whatever they have, they, they disadvantage themselves for the community. The wicked person, he says in Proverbs, is the person who sees his or her or his or her own resources as their own. What, what, what they have, it's all about it belongs to me. I think it's a pretty good definition. Imagine reading Proverbs and thinking about those two definitions of the righteous and the wicked. And that's what Walke is saying. Justice and righteousness, they're, they're intimately connected together, intimately entwined. And I, this morning, I'm going to offer my own definition for what it's worth. Um, you can debate it if you'd like. Justice is leveraging all the social capital all the social influence that we have for the good of the disadvantaged. The righteous person is someone who who uses what God has stewarded to them for the good of others and particularly the vulnerable. Now, you may be asking, okay, who is the vulnerable? Well, uh, scholars talk about in the Bible, there is the quartet of the vulnerable, the, the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, and the poor. That is the quartet of the vulnerable. And, and what, what they say is that uh, Amos and throughout the Bible, we see the poor, the oppressed, the marginalized, basically the ones who have fallen through the cracks of this broken world. Justice is leveraging on their behalf for a better world. It's, it's where we're acknowledging every human carries within them the image of God. Every human, every human uniquely created, uniquely beautiful, uniquely important, valued by God. Every person is treated as if they are God's own creation. And justice is where we leverage 
all that influence that we have. It's where we leverage all the social capital that we have for that kind of world. Where we live to lift up those who have fallen through the cracks because they bear the image of God just as much as I do. Where we work to set things right. We can see this from our passage and Amos had this longing for this world, this, this world that existed back then. And, and frankly, we still have that same longing today. We want justice to roll down like the waters. And what, what he's getting at, Amos is getting at, for justice to roll down like the waters in the arid, dry climate that is Israel, um, you would have a small little trickle of a stream from the top of the mountains that would, that would come down. It, it, it was a very small drip of water. But when the rains came, when those, when those desert rains came, uh, there would be this massive wave of water that would stream down the mountain. But what happens? The, 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 the rains stop. The, the water dries up. It, it, it goes back to a trickle again. And what Amos is saying, God, would you bring your rain? Would you bring your stream? Would you bring your righteousness and your goodness? Would it flow down and would it never stop until this world is remade? That's, that's what Amos is getting at. Now, the, that's what justice is. But that's our first question. What, what's justice? That's justice. Now you may be saying, so Tyler, who cares? I mean, who cares? why is this so important? Why does this matter? Well, that's our second question. Why is it so important? And we actually see from Amos and throughout the rest of the Bible why justice is so important. First, justice is important because it flows, it flows from the very heart of who God is. Now, this is actually what we read from the prophet Jeremiah. He says this, thus says the Lord, let not the wise boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. God says, I practice justice because I delight in the things of justice. See, friends, this morning, we need to get this we, to develop a heart of justice, uh, to lean into the needs of the poor and the oppressed. We are actually touching the very heartbeat of who God is. I love the way author Fleming Rutledge puts it. She says this great social movements for freedom, for equality, for justice originate not in humanity, but in God. Human participants climb on board a train that's already moving. I love that way of thinking about justice. It's, it's the heart of God. It's, it's from his very heart. And that's why we partner to do the next right response. To leverage whatever social influence, whatever social capital, whatever, whatever energy we have for the vulnerable and the oppressed. And it's important to see that it's the very heartbeat of God, that we're, we're jumping on a train that's already moving. You know, I think back on the 19th century uh, politician, William Wilberforce. Uh, Wilberforce spent his whole life seeking to abolish slavery throughout the British Empire, which was expansive at that time. His whole life spent trying to jump on the train that was already moving. I think of our own Damaris House. If you don't know our ministry, one of our partners in Greece, the Damaris House, 
uh, these modern freedom fighters uh, seeking to bring the end of sex trafficking uh, to vulnerable, impressed women in, in Greece. I, those are the people I think of jumping on the train that's already moving. This is what he, uh, Fleming Rutschler says. She says, as human participants, human participants climb on board a train that's already moving. This is why Matthew's gospel, uh, Matthew 25, Jesus declares his heart for the poor, the vulnerable, and the oppressed. Jesus says this, uh, at the end of time, at the end of time, Jesus says, I'm going to separate the righteous from the wicked. Um, and and the, it'll be apparent why I'm separating these. And Jesus, Jesus says, it's, it's when I see you cared for me, when I was vulnerable, uh, if, you, if you cared for my needs, if you, if, you, if you fed me when I was hungry, while I was thirsty, then, then, then you'll be the righteous. And his disciples, Jesus, we never, when did we serve you? When did, when did we give you water to drink? Or when did we feed you? And he said, oh, no, no, no. This is, you did it when you cared for the least of these. Truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me, to me. Jesus tells us not only is this God's heartbeat for the vulnerable and the oppressed, but that God so identifies with the poor and the vulnerable that when we do justice, when we, when we live that life out, it's as if we are caring for God himself. Theologian Ronald Rohrheiser really gets at the pervasiveness, the pervasiveness of justice that we see throughout Jesus's ministry and the gospels. This is what he says. More than a few Christians might be surprised to learn that the call to be involved in creating justice for the poor is just as essential and non-negotiable within the spiritual life as is Jesus's commandment to pray and to keep our private lives in order. Jesus' teaching on this is very strong, consistent throughout all the gospels and leaves no room for equivocation. In the Christian scriptures, one out of every 10 lines deals directly with the physically poor and the call from God for us to respond to them. So that's the first reason why justice is so important. It, it, it flows from the very heartbeat of who God is. The second reason is that justice is so important is because it flows from the very heartbeat of who God is. For us not to live out a life of justice calls into question our very relationship with this God. What do I mean? Well, look at, look at Amos. Um, Amos begins his book. He, he starts off and he says uh, a, a judgment to, to Israel. But, but then he, he moves on very quickly. And then the, he spends a great bit of time talking about the judgments that are going to come down on the surrounding nations of Israel. Uh, he, he calls down judgments on Tyre and Edom and Moab and the, the Ammonites and Damascus. He, he calls down judgment on all of them. Um, and you can hear uh, the crowd of Israel as they've gathered around him to speak. And you, you, can, you can hear them cheering. They're, they're saying, Amos, get them. Uh, tell them. I mean, I mean, there's some amens. There's some dancing. It's a very non-Presbyterian crowd that day. But if you, if you looked at the map, if you look at the map and you see what Amos is doing, it's very, very clever. Uh, he begins to, to talk and every nation that he names, he is moving closer and closer, almost like a bullseye on one nation, Israel. He's speaking to his own people. And there was a, there was, there was a hush 
in that moment. You could have heard the pen drop as he echoed these words from Amos 2.6, a punishment for Israel. And in fact, his indictment, his accusation against Israel was three times as long as any other nation in the book of Amos. But why do we need to hear this indictment? Why, why do we need to hear it? Why is it so important? It's because Israel thought everything was okay. They thought everything was okay. Uh, they were continuing to show up for, for worship with their sacrifice. They, they were singing their favorite songs to God. What they didn't realize was how truly important justice was to this God. Listen to how God speaks through Amos to the people of Israel. This is what he says in Amos 5. I hate I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the peace offerings of your fattened animals, I will not even look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. God is saying through the prophet Amos, just stop singing. I'm not listening. Just, just stop bringing your sacrifices. I'm not accepting. God says to us, if, if you think you have a real connection with me, but you don't have a concern for the vulnerable, for the poor, then you don't actually have a connection with me at all. As Ronald Rollheiser said, justice is an essential and non-negotiable. Now, I want to be clear. Justice is not the gospel. Let's be clear about that. Justice is not the gospel, but it's one of the surest ways for you to know that the root of the gospel has taken root, that, that there's this growing tug in you for justice among the poor and the vulnerable and the disadvantaged. We have different ideas for sure of how justice should go forth. I'm sure of that but we all long to jump on the train of God that is already moving. Friends, do you see how important justice is? How important it is to God? How important it is for our world? Extremely important. How important it is for you. God says your work towards justice is just as important as your singing. Just as important as your offering. Just as important as being here today. Do you have my kind of heart for the oppressed. That's what God's asking you. So you may be wondering, well, how, how do we become people of justice? How do we become people of justice? Well, that's our third question we need to answer. And we see it in Amos. Look at this from Amos 5, verse 15. It says this, hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. Hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. This is a really interesting phrase, to establish justice in the gate. Now, you have to understand the ancient world at that time. These ancient Near Eastern cities, they were, they were surrounded in by, by these gates. They would, they would have gates all around the city. And these various gates had multiple gates attached to them. So if an intruder got through the first gate, there would be multiple sets of gates beyond that to keep them out of their city. And when peace ruled and reigned in an area, you would see that they would open up all of the gates. That's why you read at the end of Revelation, it says when the new heavens comes down, the gates will always be open 
Isn't that a great image? There's, there's this peace and justice that will be throughout this world that the gates will always be open. And what would happen in these gates in the city is the, 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 the people would sit there because of the shade from the sun and the hot uh, climate of that time. They would, they would sit in these gates and you would see these old men. They would, they would sit in the gates and they would watch people as they entered and exited the city. You've probably seen this before. People who sit there uh, and just watch people, people watchers, any people watchers in the room. Yes. Yes. We've been there. Well, that's what happened at the gates. The, the old men of the village would sit there and just watch you walking by in and out as you'd go for worship or uh, to buy goods and leave the city. But also at these gates, was where civil disputes were handled. Um, people who had an issue, they would bring them to the elderly men of the gate to decide for them. But the problem that was happening in this time was justice, uh, your crimes uh, being brought to be addressed. Uh, all that coming out uh, only went to the highest bidder, uh, only went to the resourced only went to the person who could have a proper counsel and witness. Basically, only those who had the resources, the right connections would be heard at the gate. They, their case would be heard. So the first thing we need to do to become this kind of person of justice is to hear their cries, is to hear their cries. This is probably what infuriated God so much. Uh, the worshipers were walking right past these people who were afflicted, walking right past them to go to worship, walking right past them to go sing. And they did nothing. They, they, after a while, I think these worshipers, they had passed by so many times they had just become white noise to them. Or they began to make up excuses. Hey, I'm running late for worship today. I, um, I, I, these people really, they deserve what they get. Uh, I, just wish, I just wish they would just learn the Hebrew language. If they could just learn the Hebrew language, then we can work all this out. Eventually, their cries became white noise in the gate. Friends, do you hear their cries? They're crying out, saying and asking, do you see me? I'm a human just like you. I'm carrying God's image just like you. And the second thing we need to see to become a people or become a person of justice is getting to work. Uh, it's, it's leveraging all of our social influence, all of our social capital in your gate, your gate. Now, now what, what do I mean by that? Well, Amos is telling these people do good and establish justice in the gate. Now notice he says gate, not gates, plural. The, 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 the city had multiple gates around it, multiple, multiple places. And the reality is there are, many, there are too many gates in and out of most ancient cities. And the simple reality for you and for me, we cannot solve all the world's issues and justice issues at each gate. Oh, it, we, we just can't do it as a human being. That's just part of what it means for us to be human. We have limits. So where can we put our energy? At what gate? Um, I love the image uh, from the book of Nehemiah. Uh, Nehemiah is sent to uh, return to the people of Israel. He's, he's sent with a command to rebuild the walls, if you've read Nehemiah. And, and in that book, he, he says in Nehemiah 3, that it, it tells us that every person came out of their house and they went and they rebuilt the wall right in front of their house. 
they, they couldn't do it all, but they, right in front of their house, they rebuilt that area arm in arm for one mission to rebuild the wall together. That's what God is calling us to do, to rebuild what is right in front of us, to repair what has been broken. This is the picture of our passage. If you are like me, at times you can almost feel overwhelmed by all the injustice of our world, wanting to make all things right, but God has not given you that charge. That is Jesus's charge that he will complete at the end of time. But God has asked us to partner with him and for us to repair the walls right in front of our own house. As it says in Amos, do, do to love good and to establish justice in the gate. Now, you may be here asking this morning, well, what is my gate? What, what's, what's my gate? And my question for you to work through that is, where does your heart ache? Where does your heart ache that aligns with God's heart ache for this broken world? Where, where does your heart ache that aligns with God's heart ache for this broken world, where, where you're longing for things to be made right. That is probably your gate. Where, wherever your heart is drawn to, there's an ache there. God, I want to see this set right. That's probably where God is calling you. Now, some of you may be still struggling for a next step. So I've, I've got a few of those here. Um, we have some great local partners who do phenomenal work. And, and we'll be telling more about these in the future. But um, if you get really passionate about justice for the unborn, justice for the unborn, Orangewood was part of starting a ministry called Choices Women's Clinic. And it seeks to come alongside women who are seeking to get an abortion. How, how we can come alongside them. That might be your gate. Um, others, uh, you're passionate about justice for the next generation. And so a couple of ministries, Elevate Orlando or the Boys and Girls Club of Eatonville are two organizations in our city doing phenomenal work, creating and fostering mentoring relationships for adolescents. And finally, if you're passionate about the unemployed, passionate about the unemployed and resourcing them for a better future for them or their family, we have a phenomenal relationship with Jobs Partnership. And one of our elders, Mark Stanikis, helps lead that ministry. Um, that's another way you can jump in and find your gate. There's a lot of other ways, but I want to give you just a few and people that we love and respect. If you want to find out more information about how to get involved, Pastor Joe, our pastor of service and impact is going to be in the lobby. He'd love to connect with you. Also, um, on our church center app, you can just go on our church center app and hit that front button serve. And then it'll take you to an opportunity where different serve opportunities press serve in the community. And then you'll get a whole um, no, a newsletter that pops up and right there you can click on it and take your next step to get involved with what we're doing. I love the way Pastor Tim Keller talks about justice. This is what he says. This is what it means to do justice. It, it means to take all the parts of your life. It, it means you take your emotions. It means you take your time. It means you take your body, your physical presence. It means you take your stuff. It means you take your money and you plunge it into the lives of other people through thousands of involvements. That's how you do justice. Where does your heart ache that aligns with God's heartache for this broken world? What is your gate? Where is God calling you? But where do we get the power to live out 
this kind of life? Where, where do we get the power to become this kind of people? That's our final question. Where, where, do we, where do we get the power to, as Amos says, do good and establish justice in the gate? Well, I know one place that we usually turn, one place you were thinking, and it's the natural power lever that we call upon when we're listening in moments like this. Let me ask you a question. Are you feeling guilty yet this morning? Like on a scale of zero to 10, what's your guilt level? Pretty high? I'm guilty just preaching it, okay? I I, I see the places in my own life where this broken world of injustice has become white noise to me. But let me tell you something, because I've seen it before. Uh, Guilt, guilt is espresso power. It will give you a great jolt through lunchtime. But then after lunchtime, it will be gone. We need a better power, a better motivation to partner with God and his heart for justice that we see in the book of Amos. Where do we get it? Well, we see it actually in chapter three of Amos, first one. This is what we read. Amos is bringing down condemnation on Israel at this point. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I've brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Uh, God God tells this this people through Amos, listen, uh, you of all people have heard the cries at the gate. You have have known intimately the story of the vulnerable and the oppressed because that's what you were in Egypt. You were that people. You were oppressed. You were crying out. But you don't see it now even in your midst. And God brings up his promises he made to Abraham that that, uh, from one family... Have I known one, one, one family? Have I made all my promises that I would give you a land and, and through you, I would bless this broken world through his people. He would bring justice, but his people forgot their way. And it tells us in our passage, God is speaking through Amos saying, I'm revoking my promises. I'm revoking them. They're gone. And this is how uh, religion usually looks at life with a side of guilt, please. With a side of guilt, please. Be people of justice. Do justice or God will get you. This is our standard operating procedure. Obey and then you will be accepted. But we haven't. We, we've been too focused on ourselves, too focused on our own lives. We, we haven't seen the disadvantaged and the vulnerable as our neighbor. But before you throw in the towel on Amos, we have to see at the end this unbelievable message of grace, sheer grace that God gives through this prophet. Listen to these final words in the book of Amos. It says this, I I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They They shall plant vineyards and drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I'll plant them on their land. And they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them, says the Lord your God. God says at the end, I I will restore to you all the promises I've given you. I'm giving you back your land. Now, if you're like me, you have to be saying, what? How, How are you even able to say this? How can you possibly offer this message of grace 
after everything we've done. After everything you've said, you, you've spoken against us. How, how can you offer us this promise? Where elsewhere you say you're going to hold us accountable. How can he do this? I'll say it this way. How can God say in six pages, at least it's six pages in my Bible. How can he say it in six pages? God is serious about injustice, serious about the sin of injustice, and at the same time offer this message. In the span of six pages, he says, you guys are going to get what you deserve. You're going to get what you deserve because you've not been people of justice. All the promises are revoked. And six pages later, at least in my Bible, he says, I will never forsake you. You'll always be mine. All my promises are yours. How can God possibly say that and be just? This gets to the seriousness of our sin of injustice. And at the same time, this message of grace, that the depths that God is willing to go for you and for me. How, how can he do this despite our negligence? Well, friends, what we see here and throughout the Bible is our God of justice took upon in himself our injustice. Took upon in himself. There was a pastor, uh, James Montgomery Boyce. He pastored a very large historic church in 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. And he wrote in one of his books, a chapter, the illegalities of Christ's trial. The illegalities of Christ's trial. In that, in that chapter, he, he goes through, he details, he outlines, he chronicles all the injustice, all the oppression that Christ received through his trial, just to name a few. Uh, the, his arrest, his interrogation, um, his trial in the middle of the night, not allowed. Uh, his lack of defensive counsel, not allowed. Uh, no public notice, not allowed. Basically, everything about Jesus' arrest and trial was a sweeping act of injustice. But friends, don't you see, he was taking our injustice upon himself so that you and I, no matter how we have lived, can receive the promises of God in him, despite we've done absolutely nothing to receive them. Sheer grace. Jesus is telling you this morning, if you will listen, your judgment has been taken away. It's gone forever in him. You are being restored the promises of God and his presence. And listen to this, Jesus is saying, you're being restored that because I was cut off. I was cut off. Do you see that? Do you, do you see that? Maybe, maybe you're here, you need to hear it from someone else. This is from the prophet Isaiah. He said this, of the one who would come to set all things right. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. Friends, don't you see he bore our judgment? Jesus was cut off so that we could be brought in to the promises of God through him. Where was Jesus cut off? Where was he cut off? He, he was cut off on the cross. We, we read that he was unjustly treated. Friends, do you hear his cries? Do you hear his cries for you? What, what he went through, his garments were ripped. He, he was beaten. He was flogged. Um, our God was literally, became literally one of the disadvantaged, one of the oppressed. Pastor and theologian John Stott said it this way as only he could. In a world of injustice, I can never believe in a God without a cross because in a world of injustice, how could I believe in a God who was immune from it? Friends, do you hear his cries? 
Do you hear his cries? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was the only one who was truly good, the only one who was truly able to establish justice in the gate, and he was forsaken so that you and I never have to wonder where we stand. No matter what has happened, no matter what you are going through, because of what he has done, he has taken whatever judgment stood against you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you hear his cries? Do you hear his cries? This is the life of what Flannery O'Connor, Flannery O'Connor, the great uh, novelist of the 20th century, she talked about. She said, uh, you and I, we are all the poor. Uh, we, we are all the spiritually poor. We are, we are all the ones undeserving. We are all in need of Christ coming and taking our place so we could receive his perfect life of righteousness. That's grace. That's grace. That's how the apostle Paul told us to see it through that lens. This is what he says in 2 Corinthians. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Friends, that's the power we need to become this kind of people. We need to see the grace given to us despite our apathy, uh, given to us despite our indifference, to hear the cries but to see that there was one who would come and take our injustice upon himself, who would bear our crimes so that we could receive all the promises of God, though we do not deserve them. He came and took our place. Jesus is saying, Father, give them my riches of grace because I will bear their sin and their poverty. When we see the grace that is offered again this morning and again and again and again and again in our lives, that will be the power for us to become people who can leave committed to leverage all that we have for the disadvantaged and the vulnerable because Christ leveraged all that he had. He was all in to use a gambling poker reference in church. I don't know if I'm allowed to do that, but he was all in for you, for you. Do you hear his cries for you? Do you hear his cries for you? His cries that were not for your condemnation, but for your, his, your acquittal. His cries that didn't bring down judgment on you, but brought freedom. His cries that didn't leave you out, but brought you in. His cries. And the more we hear his cries of grace, we will begin to hear the cries of the disadvantaged and leverage all that we have on their behalf. Amos said, do good. Do good. And establish justice in the gate. May we be that kind of people. Let's pray. Well, our Father, we thank you for Amos. We thank you, we thank you for his life. Uh, and we thank you that you are remaking this broken world. And we have this wonderful opportunity and privilege to join you in that work. And remind us again this morning of our need. Uh, remind us of our own spiritual poverty and how Jesus leveraged all that he had for us. Empower us to be a people of justice who live by your grace, extravagant grace for a better world. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen, amen. amen.